Here's the, here's the first thought in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read the first four verses. That's what the Bible says. It says, I hope you will put up with me a little, with a little bit more of my foolishness. Please bear with me. This is the Apostle Paul talking. He said, for I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Now I wanna go to Genesis chapter three because Paul references Eve and her deception in Genesis chapter three. And this is what happened to her. The Bible says in Genesis chapter three, verse one, that the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? She said, of course we may eat from the fruit of the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse six says something that just blows me away. The woman was convinced. It took two sentences for the enemy to overturn what she had believed about God her entire existence. Two sentences, and in two sentences, the Bible says she was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband. So for all of the people who have preached to you that Eve deceived Adam, no, Adam was right there with Eve. He just kept his mouth shut and didn't say nothing like a bad husband would. Right there. So all those preachers that wanna, wanna say that women can't preach because listen, women were the ones deceived. Adam was there and he didn't say nothing. So if anyone should keep their mouth shut, it should be anyhow. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Bless the Lord. That's a lie. We, we tore down that lie a couple weeks ago. If you, got, if you wanna know how God feels about women, women leading and preaching, then go, go listen to that a couple weeks ago. Somehow people got my cell phone number that don't even know me and they... They, random numbers texted me, threats and crazy stuff. How, how, do, how, do, how does somebody get your, your number? That's not, they don't put cell phone numbers in the phone book, do they? That means somebody in this congregation that has my number gave my number to a crazy person, and I just need you to know I know that. Stop. Just random people. They wouldn't even tell me their name. I'm like, who are you? I'm not gonna argue with somebody that won't tell me who they are. And they just kept, anyhow, that's neither here nor there. But if you wanna know how God feels about women in ministry, then there's a sermon on that just a couple weeks ago. Watch this, verse seven. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness, so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. I'm gonna make this statement, and then we'll pray. Since Satan cannot be above God, he tries to exalt himself above what you know 
about God. He doesn't have to take your life to steal it. All he has to do is affect how you see it with lies. And the problem with being deceived is that you are the last one to know it. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you today, God, that you are, you are the truth. And if we will get to know you, then the truth will make us free. I'm praying for more than anything for freedom to reign in this place. In Jesus' name, freedom in our minds, freedom in our soul, freedom to be who you have called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen. amen. Have, you, have you heard the statement recently? And I've, I think I hear it a lot more than I used, used to hear it, but I'm hearing this a lot, like this, this statement, live your truth. Has anybody, anybody heard that? Like throw your hand up in the air. Maybe, I hope I'm not the only one. Like live your truth, man. Like live your truth. And uh, I understand the sentiment of uh, that statement but, but can I just propose this question? What if your truth is not the truth? Could, 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 what, what, could you consider that? What if your truth is not the truth? Jesus established what the truth is. Who is the truth? Jesus, when he came into the earth, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. So here's the problem with your truth. If your truth is in contradiction to him and his truth, then your truth is a lie. And I would suggest you shouldn't live that truth. You should live his truth. Does anybody in 2019 still believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? Like all truth comes from him. I still believe that. I, I've... I've seen God throughout scripture deal with people pretty, pretty harshly. Um, so for someone to, to say that, that, that God never deals harshly with people, that, that would be a lie. You just look through scripture and even in the New Testament, there were these two people named Ananias and Sapphira who lied. They, they lied to the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, and they dropped dead in a church service basically. And uh, so, so, so anybody who would tell you that God is, doesn't deal harshly with people would be lying to you because that's just not, not the truth. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not saying that God's just running around you know, killing people in church because thank God we're, we're still breathing right now, amen. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you that, that God, um, God, is, God is bigger than your mind can comprehend. Like he is bigger than the image you can create of him. He's bigger than anything you could form or fashion him into being. In other words, God does not fit into your box or your mindset or your personality or your perspective. He's bigger than that. So sometimes he does things and we look at them and we're like, oh my gosh, that's completely outside of what I know God to be like. Well, obviously you haven't read the God of the Bible. Because sometimes he will do stuff that doesn't fit into our natural expectation of what God should do. Therefore, you and I are not God. All right. Okay, just establish that as a baseline. Can we agree that I am not God? Can somebody say amen? amen. And can we agree that you are not God? Amen. amen. Okay. So here's, here's, here's the dilemma. Satan, because he cannot be God, 
His desire was to be God, but he, and he tried to be God, and the Bible says, Jesus even declares, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and so the next time we really see him, he's, he's squirming around the garden, and he's talking to Eve, and she starts to have this conversation with him, and they talk about this tree that God says, hey, this belongs to me. Everything else you can have, but this belongs to me. Well, he comes in, and he says, well, you know, I know God said that, but did God really say? Did God really mean? And no, matter of fact, I don't think God meant that at all, and he begins to declare these things, and Eve receives it. She believes it, and because she believes it, the Bible says that they hear God, Adam and Eve hear God coming into the garden, and he's moving around, and they hide from God, and the Bible says, God says, where are you? And when God finally catches up to them, he's found out that they have sewn these fig leaves together to make coverings for them because now they're ashamed that they're naked. And God is, 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 is angry about this situation. But instead of dealing with Adam and Eve first, what does he do? He first deals with the source of the deception. Now watch this. It's one thing to be deceived. It's another thing to be the deceiver. God deals with these two types of people and positions two different ways. If you look through the history and totality of scripture, God deals very harshly with people who deceive others. Matter of fact, in 2 Peter 1 and 2, God talks about how, how harsh the judgment will be for false prophets and false teachers. So I would just make an encouragement. Uh, I would just give you this encouragement today. Don't be the deceiver. It's one thing to be deceived, but it's another thing to be the deceiver because the Bible says that the deceiver was cursed, but the deceived experienced pain. Some people think in that moment that God cursed Adam and Eve. No, God didn't curse Adam and Eve. He cursed Satan, but he allowed Adam and Eve because they believed those lies to experience the pain associated with believing lies. And I just want you to understand something in this room today, that there are consequences to what you believe. There are consequences to the voices that you allow into your life and to the people that you listen to because the, the enemy doesn't come to us in, like a snake slithering on the ground. He comes to us like a person with two eyes and two ears and a mouth and two feet into our lives. And here's the problem with deception. Deception never comes to us looking like deception. It comes to us looking like what we want. Ask Samson about that. Deception didn't come to Samson looking like deception. Deception came to Samson looking like Delilah. And not the Delilah from the, not the Delilah, not that Delilah, but the, the crazy Delilah in the Bible. That's how, that's, that's how it came. It came in a package that, watch this, the enemy, because he, he knows our weaknesses, he exploits them. So he uses our weaknesses against us. So when he wants to cause Samson to fall, he sends deception because that's his tool. He is a liar and the father of lies. Even when he's telling the truth, he's lying. For instance, when he was talking to Jesus in the New Testament, he was tempting him in the wilderness. He was quoting scripture to Jesus, but he was using it in a manipulative way form. He was telling the truth, but he was lying. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So the enemy's tool, his weapon is deception. So when he sends deception to Samson, he doesn't send it to him in a package marked deception. And he looks at it and he's like, I'm probably not going to open that. 
No, he sends it to him in a package that looked like Delilah, and he said, I'm probably going to open that. That's what he did. So, and, and you, look at, you look at Samson's deception, and so many of us, are, we, when we've read that story, we look at it and we're like, how, how, how could he allow her? How could, how could he do, how could he tell her the secret to his strength when, when she had already tried to, tried to try, told people the secret to his strength? He was lying to her, but she told people, and they did exactly what he told them would, would happen, and, and it didn't happen, but he kept telling her. He kept falling asleep in her lap, even though he knew she was trying to take advantage of him. And you're like, I would never do that. <laughs> you married that. What are you talking about? <laughs> you're dating it right now. Deception, it never comes to you looking like deception. It always comes to you looking like what you want. And that's where we need help. That's where we cannot, we, we cannot do this by ourselves. We cannot do this by ourselves. So watch, God curses Satan and he allows Adam and Eve to experience the pain of deception. They were removed from the garden. And the reason God removed them from the garden is because if he didn't, even though they had sinned, they would have still lived forever. I know that because God said the reason he took them out of the garden in his word in Genesis 3 was because they were eating from a tree of life. And he had to kick them out of the garden because if they kept eating from that tree, they would live forever in that condition. Live forever in that condition. And God does not want you to live forever in your current condition. So even though it looks like painful, and it looks like pain, and it looks like separation, it's actually for your good. It's actually for your benefit, and ultimately for your redemption, because now we eat from another tree that is life. It's not a tree with fruit on it. His name is Jesus, right? He is life, and he is life eternal. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Life for forever. So they were removed from the garden. Lies create limitation. And truth sets you free. Watch. When, when Satan lied to her, he lied to her by telling her that God was trying to limit her. But the lie was the limitation. The lie was God's trying to, God's, God's trying to keep something from you. God's holding back from you. There's more out there if you'll just eat from this fruit. God knows that if you eat from this, you'll be like him. And, and her problem was this. She, she was already like him. And a lie made her believe that she could do something to make her what she already was. I just want you to understand that some of the stuff that you're doing, you're doing trying to make yourself into something you already are. You've believed the lie that money's gonna make you happy, but money is not gonna make you happy. 
Stuff is not going to make you happy. It might for a minute, but when it fades, and when your new car fades, and when your new boat fades, and when your new house fades, and when your new wife fades... You're still going to be the person you were before the money came into your life, before the stuff came into your life, before the things that came into your life. And I need you to understand, and God wants you to understand that you don't need anybody else. You don't need anything else other than him to make you whole. She believed the lie that if I will add this to my life, then I'll be important. If I'll add this to my life, then I'll have wisdom. If I'll add this to my life, then I'll have value. And God wants you to know something today, that the current condition you are in right now is exactly where he wants you to be. It is exactly what he wants for your life. I'm not saying your situation is from God. I'm not saying your brokenness is from God. I'm not saying your pain is from God. I'm just telling you that right now, you don't have to be better today than you were yesterday. Yesterday because God was fine with you yesterday. God loved you yesterday. God is not going to love you more because you get more. God is not going to love you more because you know more. God is not going to love you more because you have more. He loves you just the way you are. You cannot be more created in his image than you are right now. So stop believing the lies that something else that attaches itself to you makes you more valuable. She believed that lie, and it uprooted and changed her entire existence. Changed everything. So they're on the outside. Now they're suffering the consequences of believing the lies. The Gospel of John tells us that the sin of the world is unbelief. Sometimes we, we get so, so caught up in particular sins, this sin and that sin and this sin and that sin, and the reality is, is that the sin of the world is unbelief. The reason we sin is because we don't believe what God says about us. That's the reason we sin. And so lies are, are wrecking lives. And the people who, who perpetuate them on humanity are wrecking lives. False teachers and false prophets and People claiming they know the truth. People telling you their truth, but it's not God's truth. And I'm, I'm concerned at how quickly, if, if Eve could this quickly with two sentences uproot her entire belief system about God, what does that say about us and how susceptible we are to deceit? We've got to guard our lives against deceit. I, the, the sermon title for today is Did God Say? And the reason it's Did God Say is, is one, because Eve asked that question, or Satan asked that question of Eve. And then Eve turned around and said, God said. God said. God said. You know, those are two of the most powerful words that have ever been combined in the history of humanity. God said. Those two words have created a lot of joy, but those two words have also created a lot of the horrors that we see in the earth today because someone said, God said. 
I get people all the time come to me and say, hey man, God told me this, what do you think? <laughs> like, if God said it, then where do I fit? <laughs> like, where does my opinion fit in this whole equation? Like, like if God said it, what am, what am I left with? God told, God told me to quit my job, what do you think? <laughs> and 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 there's there's this part of me that wants to look at people and say God didn't say that you crazy person like <laughs> But what am I supposed to what are you supposed to do with that? Cuz either God said it or God didn't say it and who am I? I, I am not God. I, I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm just a preacher. So when you come to me and say God said I just have to take you at your word. Now, if you say something that's contradictory to the Bible, I will say, hey, no, the Bible says. And I don't care what you say God said. Joseph Smith out there in the woods getting revelations from heaven, creating whole new religions. We're not about that. This is what God said in his word. But if you come to me and say, God told me to move. God told me to marry this person. God told me, and I'm like, well, I can't really point to a scripture where God said, don't marry Jack, it's not in there. Well, God told me to buy this. Well, I can't point to a scripture where God said, don't buy another television. I, I can't, like, three is, the, three is the limit. People come to me and say, like, how much is too much to spend on this? Like, I, I don't know. There's not a scripture that says, like, like there's this argument going on about how much there's a, there, and I'm gonna tell you about it, and it's just gonna, it's just, you're gonna spend too much time on this, but it's on Instagram, it's called, it's an account called Preachers and Sneakers, and, uh, and, and Preachers and Sneakers, and it's, it's not about whether or not preachers should wear sneakers, because I've heard that whole argument, believe me, I get that one all the time, but it's about how much should a preacher spend on sneakers, and so you've got, you've got the spiritual police, on Instagram now telling you that this is the cutoff, this is how much you're allowed to spend, and this is how much you're not allowed to spend, and if you're a preacher, you shouldn't buy this, and, the, and, and, and it's like, but show me the scripture that says you can spend $300 on a pair of shoes, but I can't spend $300 on a pair. Show me the scripture, and everybody in the world is running around saying, God said, God said, God said, I know what Jesus would do. Do you? Do you, are, you, are you the definitive say on how God interprets the entire world? Can, can, I, can I just give you some information, just, just some food for thought? Like, if you are in a church that says we have the answer for everything and we are the definitive say on everything that God is saying and we are the ones that God is speaking to and God is only speaking to us and God is only speaking through our denomination and God is only speaking through our preacher, can I tell you what you're a part of? You're not a part of a church. You are a part of a cult. Because not even the early church apostles and disciples were running around saying, God told me all the time. Matter of fact, if you go to Acts chapter 15, one of the, one of the most consequential decisions the church ever made was made on an, it seemed like a good thing to do. Acts 15, churches are fighting, people are fighting. 
specifically the Jewish people are arguing with whether or not the Gentile people should adhere to the customs of the Jewish people. Should they follow their laws? Should they follow their Sabbaths? Should they follow their dietary restrictments and, 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 and all of that? Should they be circumcised? And, and I can hear all the grown Gentile men say, I can stop eating that, but if you come near me with a knife, I will hurt you. Like, I can see, like, there's an argument. This is, there's fighting going on, and the disciples come in, and they settle this whole thing with a letter. And in the letter, the Bible says they wrote and they said, you know, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that you do this. It seemed good. Do you know what the word seemed? It, it, it means, it, there it means impression. It means, you know, we came together and the best we could come up with is we feel like this is how we should handle this. These are the apostles of the early church walking around with so much authority that their shadow would hit people and they would be healed of their disease. And they're walking around saying, you know, it seemed like a good idea. It seemed like the thing we should do. Can I just say to you, one of the ways you could stop harming your life and harming other people's lives and getting into decisions that are you, 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 <laughs> You will find it hard to get out of. If you, if you would stop saying God said about everything, you would bring so much freedom to your life. And, and I love this because they weren't saying it seemed good to us about something that was consequential. They were saying about something that was truly, and when you think of it, it's inconsequential. Because if you're, a, if you're a Gentile and you want to follow the Jewish customs, you can still follow Jesus and celebrate the Sabbaths and all of that. You can, you, can, you can abstain from bacon and be a Christian. I know that sounds crazy. I don't know how you abstain from bacon and be a human, but you can abstain from bacon and be a Christian. You can do it. You, you, can, you can follow the customs of the Jewish people, or you cannot. It doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven or hell. It's amazing to me that we have created the most divided religion on earth is Christianity. Ooh. The Muslims aren't this divided. I mean, in the Middle East, there, there's, some, there's some serious divisions, but they don't, have, they don't have 36 denominations within a mile radius over stuff that's not truly consequential. Not over the, the background and the foundation of what we believe. If you were to sit with a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or a Pentecostal, they would all agree with this. Jesus really lived. He really died. And he really rose from the dead. And he's coming again soon. But let's create 37 different doctrines because we don't believe he's coming back when you say he's coming back. Even though nobody knows the time, the day, or the hour, we're going to split up for centuries over something we don't even know because we think we know what we, even though if you really look at scripture, watch, can I, can I be honest with you? There are scriptures that make me think that he's coming back before the tribulation and there's scripture I read where I'm like, maybe he's going to make me wait, bro. <laughs> do, do you know, do you know, do you know? <laughs> 
<laughs> my dad, my people used to ask my dad, what are you? Are you pre-trib? Are you post-trib? He'd be like, you know what? I'm pan-trib. He'd be like, what are you? What's pan-trib? I just believe it's all going to pan out in the end. I think, that's what my dad would say. We are, we are fighting over the silliest stuff. And people are claiming that they are the know-all, be-all, end-all on it. And the original, the original declares of the gospel are like, it seemed good to us. Like, we hope we made the right decision. <laughs> Just unless God said. Now, now, I would encourage you, if you're reading the scripture and it's in scripture, be confident in saying God said. But unless he like showed up in your bedroom, like with his beautiful hair and his blue eyes and his, that's <laughs> ridiculous. He's not, that's another thing. Hate to break it to you, but Jesus is Middle Eastern. Like he probably doesn't have blue eyes. And the Bible says, actually, if we're, if we're being honest, the Bible says he's pretty ugly. There was nothing about him that you would look at and say, wow, that's the savior of the world. Oh, man. But because of all those pictures we saw on the wall. Right? <laughs> Isn't it funny how like, was, I had a friend, they watched the Da Vinci Code and, and they they're watching and they saw that painting and they're looking at it like, see that painting, there's a code in it. And I'm like, you do know that Da Vinci wasn't actually at the Last Supper. <laughs> like that's not, like. And some of you right now, you're like, no, he, wa he wasn't? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't there. That's not an actual drawing from the Last Supper. <laughs> but how easily, that's what Paul said. He said, I'm worried that your sincere devotion is gonna turn into this easily being deceived because you're so eager to hear something that you'll listen to everything. <laughs> so you got to know how to recognize the lies. How do I recognize the lies? I'm gonna give these to you right here at the end. And if you're taking notes, this is a good time to start taking notes. First of all, where did the message come from? If you read 2 Peter chapter 1 and 2, I encourage you to read 2 Peter 1 and 2 this week. It'll really help you. Peter says this in, in 2 Peter 1 and 16. He says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus. In chapter 2 verse 3, he talks about how false teachers, how they make up stories in other words, a false teacher will rely on their own creativity, on their own life experience. I, I know the Bible says that about God, but let me tell you about my experience. I know the Bible says that about God, but let me tell you how I see it. And here's the problem with us, is if we're not careful, we will, we will make God into the thing we want him to be like. And we will shape him to look like our politics, we will shape him to look like our upbringing. We will shape him to look like the news channel we listen to. We will shape God to look like the, the, the background we come from. We will shape God to look like the color of skin we have. 
when, when, God, when, God, when God himself is a spirit and you can't put him into a box. You can't fit him into your mind and your imagination. You could spend the rest of your life using English words to describe God and you would still fall short of everything that God is. He's too big for you to understand. So here's the one thing you've got to know. In this life, I will never fully grasp this thing. I won't know all the whys, all the ins, all the outs. <laughs> oh man, that's freedom, isn't it? I don't have to have all the answers. I'm just gonna put my trust and confidence in the God that the Bible declares he is. And I'm not going to create a God that looks like me. Man, he's a good God. Why? Because he looks like me. A little, he's a little version of me. Look at, look at God. He does what I ask him to do. Everything's always working out in my life. I mean... And see, this is what happens to us in Christianity. We usually fall in either one of two categories. We either fall into, he's the king of the world or he's the, he's the suffering savior. It's the lion and the lamb theology. He's either a lion or he's a lamb, but the reality is, is he's both. And so we get, two, we get two corners. It's like when Jesus came, he came in grace and truth. And in church, what happens very often is we get churches that get consumed in the truth and they become hateful and mean, controlling and manipulative. And then you get churches that are consumed by grace and there's no truth and they avoid truth. They preach what everybody wants to hear because they don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. They want people to like them. And preachers like this are preaching for affirmation instead of from affirmation. So you've got grace and truth and they're at war with each other. And these people are like, these people over here are like, you don't preach the truth. And these people are like, you don't preach grace. Right? And then you got, and then that divides us up into other factions. You, then you got the, the prosperity gospel. And then you got the poverty gospel. You got this guy over here like, God wants me blessed, favor of the Lord's on my life. Every door I walk in, it's gold plated. You know what I'm saying, that guy? And then you got this guy over here, everybody hates me, nothing's working out. I'll never be successful. What is success anyway? It's evil. It just makes us give in to our own flesh. And I just want to be weak and I just want to be down all the time. I just want to suffer with the Lord. But he's the king of the world. He's the, oh, he's, he's the lamb that was slain. He's the, <laughs> and so we can't, we can't be people of the middle We can't be, yes, he's the king, and yes, he's the lamb. Or can we? He's not either or. He's both and. He walks the middle. <laughs> he walks the middle. He doesn't show up in your life one day like, I'm the suffering lamb. And then the other day, he's like, just, just, just changed my mind. Last night, I want to be the king today. Like, no, he's both. And he both wants to bless you, but you will also suffer in this life. He both can heal you, but sometimes he doesn't. The middle is the ground where you say, you know what? I don't have all the answers. 
The extreme is where you get over here and you try to explain away poverty and suffering and third world countries and people who are dying for the gospel. And you're like, no, everybody should be healthy and everybody, I've never been sick a day in my life. That's because I trust God. And then you got somebody over here who's like, I've been sick my whole life. So what do we do? Instead of walking the middle, saying, you know what, I don't have the answers. I don't know why some people have a lot and some people have a little. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul said, you know what, I've had a lot and I've had a little and in all of those, I have learned how to walk in the middle. I've learned how to be content because I know sometimes I will feel the power of the king but sometimes I will feel the pain of the suffering lamb. John wrestled with this. John, cousin of Jesus. If John wrestled with this, how much more are we gonna wrestle with this? John, who had walked by Jesus and looked at him and said, behold the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And the next thing you know, he's in a prison. He's getting ready to die because of what he believes. And he sends word. He says, can somebody get word to Jesus and ask him this, are you the one or do we look for another? John, you just declared him to be the lamb of God. Yeah, but, but, I, but I, in my heart, I need him right now to be the king of the world, and I need him to get me out of this prison. Can we be honest? Have we ever been over here and looked over there and thought, why? Have we ever been over here and looked over here and thought, why? The best place to be is right here. I trust you. Three Hebrews, Hebrew boys got it right. They said, we're gonna throw you in this fiery furnace. And they looked at them and said, hey, listen, you do whatever you're gonna do. You know what? We're gonna trust God. You know what? He might come and deliver us, but even if he doesn't, I'm still not gonna bow my knee. I'm still not gonna give in to deceit. I'm still not gonna give in to lies. I'm still not gonna serve another God. I'm still not gonna say he's not true. I'm still not going that way. Why? Because even if he does, even if he doesn't, he's my God. Come on, somebody. Will you stand on your feet? Throw your hands up in the air and say, God, you are my God. I'm gonna walk this middle. I'm gonna walk this middle. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the easiest way to discover the truth. Don't get on the fringes of Christianity. There's some wild stuff on the fringes of this, this faith. Some wild stuff. Some people who act like if you'll send me a check, you'll never get sick. Some people will act like God doesn't want us to have anything. God doesn't want us to be blessed. How about we just stay right here I'm not getting out on the fringes. I'm not gonna believe lies. I'm not gonna believe man-made stories. I'm gonna believe God's word. Amen. So where did the message come from? Who is the message? Who is the message? Is it Jesus? If it's not Jesus, don't receive it. If somebody says to you, listen, I know Jesus is good, but I was listening to this guy the other day and he was, that's a lie. That's deception right there. Jesus is the truth. If anybody points to anybody else but Jesus, it's a lie. It's a lie. If they say to you, believe in yourself, trust in yourself, it's all within you. You're like, are you pointing to me or are you pointing to Jesus? Because I'm not believing in me. 
Got no confidence in me. My trust is in Jesus. Where did it come from? Who is the message and what is the result? Scripture teaches, by their fruit, you will know them. Just sit back and watch it for a little while. Watch it, see if it works. Amen. I gotta let you go. Parking lot crew is gonna throw me over the sanctuary today. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We love you so much. I'm praying that over these next few weeks that lies would be torn down in Jesus' name, that the foundations of our life would become the truth of your word. In your name we pray, and everyone said amen.